0: Safety is of course a fundamental requirement in the application of healthcare. After all, the whole point is to make the patient better, not worse. But how much does it come down to the device itself to ensure safety? Hello and welcome to The Evidence Space, a podcast produced by the Institution of Engineering and Technology which presents conversations with leaders from health, care, and life sciences. I'm your host, Dr. Peter Bannister, and on this episode, I'm delighted to welcome back Dr. Matt Fennick from Ada Health and Stuart Harrison from Ethos. Matt, Stuart, welcome back to the Evidence Space. Matt, engineers are familiar with the phrase "safety by design," but what meaning does that have for you in terms of healthcare technology?
1: So I was worried about this question being surrounded on the Zoom call by lots of engineers, so I'll make sure that I don't say (laughs) anything technically wrong. But, you know, apart from the sort of aspect of hazard identification, risk assessment, not only from the outset of the development process, but throughout the development process, I think there's been three ways, you know, in my experience at ADA, and and previously I've been thinking about this. One is I've been very lucky uh, at ADA to be working with clinicians, with designers, with um, user researchers, with engineers who are not only sort of thinking about risk assessment as a process, but also as a mindset, thinking about safety as a mindset, baking it into everything we do. And for example, I've been with Ada coming up to a year now. I've learned a lot about software risk, which I didn't really appreciate before I got into a software company. And I'd like to think that I've helped in some way, you know, these very talented developers understand about clinical risk and a lot about what we do is seeing the intersection between the two and learning from each other there and, and working at that interface between software risk, clinical risk and other types of risk. As we've mentioned previously, there's another element of that, which is you can only test to a certain extent before you release, but you need to think about how you're going to be monitoring the product in the big wide world after release from the very start. So the safety team at in, in, in Ada gets involved about thinking about post-market surveillance you know, as we're developing new products and new features. And there's another thing as well which, which uh, occurred to me, which is that especially with new technologies, especially about the, the piece I was talking about, the power relationship about understanding of new technologies, I feel like there's a responsibility for developers for manufacturers to get really involved in user training so that users, for example, healthcare systems, really understand what this technology is, its limitations predominantly, you know, what it can, what it should, what it cannot do. Um, and manufacturers have a responsibility because they're the ones you know, developing the new technology, developing the new feature, and there has to be this constant two-way conversation in terms of training. And I think those are three aspects of safety by Design which you need to think about throughout the development process.
0: Uh, and Stuart, what are the different ways you might rely on design safety versus any other safety concerns that might come about due to, for example, a manufacturing defect?
2: Well, I'm afraid I'm not being controversial for the fun of it. Um, I don't actually recognize the safety by design in, uh, term in, in, in healthcare. I, I think, again, um, it's another buzzword that's been created from the cybersecurity world, from, from the um, uh, secure by design. Some um, people say, well, why can't we have safety by design? I would say that um, the are the words that try to bring comfort to those who aren't experienced in this area to say that products are fit for purpose and it'll be all right. Our healthcare, our software is safe, our devices are safe, but I mean, I've been working in this industry for long enough to not settle, I'll never settle, I'll never be happy. Um, there is always more that we can do. Um, one of the reasons why I, I think I left the NHS um, was to influence the industry a little bit more. Um, there's only so much the NHS can do um, and when you work on the front line in the NHS you've got a specific role to to undertake um, and it would be nice to 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 have the tools to do the job um, where you often get tools that may not Necessarily give you 100% confidence. For example, the usability interfaces on traditional medical devices, infusion pumps and so on, uh, the way that they perform calculations. Um, and the, the whole software dimension, again, is just a, an absolute minefield um, around trust. Um, so, yes, uh, safety by design, um, the principles on it um, are, are pretty much practiced. Um, if you separate each of the principles around um, embedding safety further into the, the life cycle, do it at the start, they are regula- in the regulated world. Um, the practice even better in the unregulated world around um, the clinical safety standards with the NHS mandate. Um, I, I think those are, are far more fit for purpose around safety um, for software, in particular in health IT. Um, we are, seem to be going through a phase of, of uh, embedding a lot of those, if not all of those principles into international standards. I know this because I'm writing them. And I know, also know this from a few years ago, um, the international community approached the NHS, uh, specifically the NHS Digital Clinical Safety Team, to lead the rewrite of some, some of the key standards where, where the devices are uh, are on networks with unregulated health IT as well um uh, we get a lot of pushback um from manufacturers because they don't see the value um but again if we have balanced opinions from citizens or, or patient representative groups and clinicians uh, uh, a really trusted and and respected colleague Dr manpete Pajara who was uh, who I work with in 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 the NHS um he came along to one of the standards committees when we first um in when I was in the NHS, NHS Digital, um, to kick off this work, the fact that there was a clinician in that standards group, you, it was it was like uh, the president had turned up. It was it just sent a ripple throughout the community, uh, uh, throughout the meetings. Um, there was a lot of networking opportunities with with Manpreet. And Manpreet will probably say by his own admission that his health informatics experience is. Um, is good but not on the leading edge. But to have a clinician's view in those standards meetings and, and for experts who have been 20, 30 years in, in the standards community just stop rambling and stop all of the bias and listen to a clinician um, that for me was breathtaking um, And and so if you work in it, if you work in NHS as a clinician, how can you how can you get get the time out to attend these meetings, um, but then uh, and give practical frontline experience of of the problems um, and and how to meet how to meet those challenges going forward, so um, I, I think it needs a shake up, um, and I and I think these these are little things that that could make a difference.
1: I I, I I think I completely agree and you know this idea I think there's more of this idea of clinicians getting involved in this you know things like the Top Topol Review was encouraging that um, junior clinicians, junior healthcare professionals have more training along digital health so I think you know I haven't been in the, the field as, as long as Stuart but I'm, I have a bit of optimism that there's um, more of this happening but clearly it needs to be accelerated and uh, of course, other healthcare systems are available, but um, you know I also worked in the NHS, and I know how difficult it is to, with the demands on the service, in order to set aside time for something which, at the moment, sometimes feels like something extra. But actually, if we're honest with ourselves, and maybe if coronavirus has taught us anything, is going to become an integral part of how we deliver healthcare in terms of digital health. You know, going forward for a very long time, pandemic or no pandemic. Um, so, so I think there is reasons for optimism there of, of how, and, and the UK is, is, is doing a, a very good job in, in that, but you know, there are also issues in other countries as well.
0: So Matt, I think we're hearing that while medical device development takes place in a regulated framework, which comes with a culture of risk analysis and mitigation, it's unrealistic to expect the device on its own to ensure complete clinical safety when it's in use as part of a treatment. So from your perspective as a clinician, what kind of evidence can manufacturers be producing to demonstrate the effective safety of innovations in this area that might mitigate some of the design challenges we've talked about? And um, I think
1: so. So, you know, clinical evaluation isn't there. There's obviously a lot of expertise that goes goes into this and there's developing expertise because this is a new field, because, you know, how do you run a clinical trial for some of these new interventions? These are really unanswered questions, and there's there's a lot of um, uh, thinking about how we run really robust clinical studies in this. But I think there's um, a lot to be said for really trying to model the real world as much as possible in the context of these clinical studies, really following up um, uh, the device, the software in the real world um, after you know release and having these process of post-marketing you know, the follow-up overlapping with post-market surveillance that we said about earlier, and also um, something that, that we do, something that I know other manufacturers do, partnering with academic institutions so that studies are not only done in-house, as Stuart was referring to, maybe sort of secretly and not clearly understanding you know how the study design was made and you know biases and things like that, but really having um, secure Confident, um, well-established academic partners who will have the, the the confidence to say yes, this is a good study, and I'm happy to put my name to it and we submit it for a peer review publication. Or actually, no, I'm, I'm not happy with this. And you know, manufacturers, I think, should have the the confidence. I say that word again to partner with these these external academic institutions, which is exactly you know what what we've done, particularly with recent um, um, uh, publications we've submitted for peer review.
0: And Stuart, in some senses, maybe it's easier to imagine ways in which a physical medical device or maybe even a pharmaceutical might do harm to a patient. But with a lot of new innovation based on data and software, can you give us some illustrations of how a digital health intervention might cause actual harm?
2: Yeah, it it depends on So, if if digital health. If if you're looking at purely software related, uh, an app or web based application, um, there is a... Often a, 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 a an in, inbuilt habit of trust. Um, the user will trust the system. Um, and because it's on the computer, um, why not trust it? Um, and the where the way that you interact. So if you're recording any information, um, if the information is, is used to perform some kind of calculation around diagnosis or so provide you with um, a list of um possibilities uh, to lead you to a decision uh, and so on. Um, There is an element of trust there um, and so that can ill inform a clinician um, and provide um, incorrect or inappropriate advice. Um, So for some systems that provide more direct uh, decision-making functions, the 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 safety issues are are more obvious for for example prescribing errors um and around imaging systems you've got things around laterality if you're looking at a a growth i mean i'm not clinician that's that's i'm I'm an engineer by trade but the systems that i've worked on um where you can have a, a a series of images that show the progression of a particular illness um if those images are not in the right order, then um, or or not complete, then a clinician could um, make the decision that the illness is not progressing as aggressively as as it is. Um, And then there's a whole host of issues around um, alert and warning fatigue, because if your system is fairly robust and you've got a lot of safety measures built into it, um, and you have warnings um, coming up on, and alerts on your screen, um, left, right, and center, then when you're using these products in a, in a busy um, clinical um, or part of a busy clinical workflow, or the clinicians themselves are extremely busy and under, under pressure, then alerts and warnings could be ignored or switched off, um or it's just something that happens when you when you turn the switch system on you get a big bag of uh, warnings and alerts uh, and you just accept all of those and then carry on um so it's that to me is a are all around the human factors and usability side of these products um uh, there have been some really good pieces of work um uh, quite a few years ago and i were looking at Things that some of the good things that came out of the national program for IT um, around the common user interface. Um, that was a really nice piece of work, uh, but unfortunately, it wasn't perpetuated uh, with the onset of mobile um, devices. There that, that should have been a nice subset, um, smaller screen real estate, um, and a subset of, of nice tools and guides um, for creating apps safely. And presenting the information on different types of form factors um, but unfortunately that never happened uh, for whatever reason um, there are other pressures in the NHS and some money's allocated into who shouts loudest um, but the, the, there needs to be something to be said around um, if you make a commitment to provide some guidance um, and to, to, to take a position of subject matter expertise and around a particular technology, then you must carry it through to the end. For example, with with Matt's experiences with NHSX, we've got code of practice, we've got the code of conduct, we've got all of the principles and guidance around AI. Um, What has happened, and I'm not suggesting it will happen with NHSX, what has happened with, with some other arm's length bodies is they publish a piece of work and then that dies a death it will go into the archives and people will people old enough like me will say, well, whatever happened to the common user interface? That was a massive set of principles for web-based technologies. Why didn't somebody pick that up and do something around mobile health? Or give it freely to the industry and let them decide. Um, and not, let's not be precious around the, the, the IP of it. But um, things like that. So I'm kind of hoping that a lot of the newer principles around safety Um, and and guidance, um, including security, will will perpetuate for the lifetime
1: of that.
2: Stuart makes a really
1: important point about um, not forgetting the past. I think sometimes, especially when you get excited about new technologies, we forget that we've been using healthcare IT for decades and people have been talking about the safety issues of a drug alert or a, a, a drug interaction warning appearing in the bottom right of the screen where it's hard to see, or too much alert and alert fatigue and the cognitive biases around the automation biases for aid. I mean, for example, the, the work of Farah Magrabi and Enrico Coera at the McCurry University, I'm sure I pronounced it badly, in, in Australia. Um, You know, I, I, I look to their work because. We, we need to make sure that we don't try to reinvent the wheel with novel technologies. There's a lot of great work that's gone before. And again, as, as Stuart has just been saying, we come up oh with fancy new new principles for them to last one year. And then we say, oh, we haven't had principles in the year. Let's come up with a whole new set of principles. No, let's learn from before and improve on them and iterate and and not have short memories. And and uh, you know, I completely agree with that
0: that's been brilliant. We're going to have to wrap up here. So I'd like to take this opportunity to thank both of you. Matt Fenwick from Ada Health, Stuart Harrison from Ethos. Thank you so much for your contributions.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Thank
2: you.
0: On the latest episode of the Evidence Space, we focused on the topic of clinical safety as it applies to the development of healthcare technologies. We've heard how a culture of openness can help everyone learn from the way that clinical safety has been addressed in the past noting, of course, that there may be proprietary concerns in industry. We've explored a little more about what harm means in the context of a device that is purely software. For example, a diagnostic on which the output may be used to make future treatment planning decisions. We hope that you've identified a number of resources throughout this episode that will help you go about demonstrating the clinical safety of your new innovation. Overall, there are plenty of opportunities for engineers of all disciplines to make key contributions to the ongoing and evolving discussion about the application of clinical safety in healthcare, so that ultimately these technologies can reach a global audience. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode of The Evidence Space and have feedback or suggestions for a future episode, please get in touch with us. Thank you very much for listening.